This is Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. The Marco Island Historical Society is presenting an exhibition at the Marco Island Historical Museum of works by Florida-based artist, conservationist, historian, educator, and documentarian Nikki Butcher titled Daydreaming, Nikki Butcher's Hand-Painted Photography. Her approach tends to start with her own black-and-white photographs and then adding vibrant, often pastel colors in a way that, in the artist's own words, turns landscapes into dreamscapes and reality into fantasy. The more than 60 works featured in the exhibition span more than five decades of Butcher's creative output. This show comes after last year's publication of her first book titled Daydreaming, which contains images included in the exhibition. For six decades, Nikki has been married to fellow photographer and artist Clyde Butcher, and the couple's wanderlust eventually found them setting down roots in Florida more than 40 years ago. And Nikki's fascination with the beauty and wonder of our subtropical wild spaces, the unique Art Deco architecture of Miami Beach, and elements like those quirky old Florida-style roadside attractions are well represented in her work. In the early 90s, the Butchers purchased a 13-acre property in the middle of the Big Cypress National Preserve, which served as their home, and the Big Cypress Gallery, which remains in operation. Later, they'd open a second gallery and studio space in Venice, and now multiple generations of their family are working in the family business. This latest exhibition at the Marco Island Historical Museum runs from March 12th through June 8th. There will be an opening reception the evening of Thursday, March 14th, including an artist meet-and-greet and book signing. The exhibition will be free and open to the public to experience. Ahead of the opening, we're joined today by the artist herself, Nikki Butcher. Welcome to Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition. Hi there. Good to be here. And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On X, formerly Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. So, Nikki, let's just dive right in. For a lot of people, I imagine photography and painting are generally considered to be separate mediums. But you've been combining them since the early 80s, I believe. Can you explain a bit about how you came to embrace your technique? I graduated in art from college, and my husband graduated in architecture, and he used photography as his way of explaining his designs. And photography became a very big part of his life, and thus a big part of my life. So when our children were old enough to basically take care of themselves, they were in high school, I set up an easel because I finally had time to paint. And I'm sitting in the corner of my house here. And my husband is out in the bush photographing the beauty of Florida. And I'm thinking, do I really want to sit in the corner painting the rest of my life? Or do I want to go out and be in the woods? And I wanted to go out and be in the woods. I love nature. And so I put down my easel and my paints and all of that. And I took up photography. But I tell people I'm not really a photographer in the way you think of photographers. I have a walking encyclopedia with me, my husband. And if I have any kind of problem, he helps me fix it. And so I'm not really learning anything. I'm relying on him. And so, but I do take photographs and I have a sense of composition and all of that because of my art background. And one day I came across some hand-painted photographs, old photographs that were done in Florida for tourists. And I thought, wow, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to paint things the way I see them, not the way 
they generally are. And one of my fascinations with Florida was Clyde and I are from California. We were boaters. We raised our children on a sailboat. And turquoise water, uh, no, it doesn't exist in California. And I saw paintings, a few old, old paintings that had, you know, pastel colors. But I'm from San Francisco Bay Area, so I figured those artists were on drugs <laughs> because there's no <laughs> such thing as turquoise water or these wonderful pastel sunsets. And so when we came to Florida, I was just stunned by the beauty of everything and the soft gentleness of it. And I just wanted to represent that in a photograph that was the way I saw Florida. And so that's why I use pastels. Was there an early point, perhaps, you know, experimenting with color photography and you just found you it wasn't able to translate what you were wanting to create? Absolutely. My husband was doing black and white and I didn't want to compete with my own husband. <laughs> so I took up color and I really, really didn't like it. I really didn't like it. <laughs> but Clyde and I were street artists and uh, we were making a living doing art festivals way back in the day which was a wonderful experience. We had so many great experiences. And when you're surrounded by a whole bunch of artists who are expressing themselves and you are not expressing who you want to be, it's very, very frustrating. <laughs> so it was. I didn't do color photography for very long. Does creating art in this way kind of give you a sense of a connection with history, maybe in a general way? I ask because I understand you were kind of inspired by these 1930s era old hand-painted postcards. And yeah. it, it also reminds me, I have this collection from my family of like tentype or ferrotype portraits of my ancestors going back to the 1860s. Wow. And some of them are like embellished with this color. It's nothing like what you do, you know, just mm -hmm. some rouge on the cheeks or something. Um, right. But it's an old technique. Yes, yes, it is. And um, and I do it pretty much the way it was done back in those days. I use oil paints and cotton balls and Q-tips and uh, toothpick occasionally for very fine lines wrapped with uh, cotton balls, parts <laughs> of cotton balls. But when we came to Florida, just to give you an example, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. I was raised on American history, like every kid is, I never, ever, ever, ever heard that St. Augustine was the oldest city in the United States. Mm. I didn't even know St. Augustine existed. And I think that is a shame. And cowboys, oh my gosh, cowboys. I'm from the West. I thought cowboys originated in Texas. Right. No, they originated in Florida. And I'm like totally shocked and thrown off my mark because Florida seemed to be the beginning of our nation as much as the Northeast was. And yet I, you never hear anything about Florida. There's nothing in a history book or anything. And I'm, I'm just like, then we went to the Dry Tortugas. That fort there is just wonderful. I love history. And I became absolutely enthralled with the history of Florida. And I also became enthralled with the people here because the there were so many interesting and strange people who were living their life the way they wanted to live it, not the way society necessarily wanted them to. And they were off the mark when it came to the way everybody behaves. And particularly down in the Keys, it was really wonderful down there. And I met so many people that were 
unique and colorful and I just I, I fell in love with Florida not only because of its beauty but because of its unique people people from all over the United States and the world that live here that make Florida such an unusual place to be that's so well put yes <laughs> <laughs> on the topic of that subject matter that includes scenes of you know what you've called real Florida I understand uh, the fascination there came after a visit to Tom Gaskin's Cypress Knee Museum out in Palmdale. Now, lamentably, I never got to experience it in its heyday, but do you remember much about that trip, and, and did that perhaps spark that broader <laughs> interest in all these other crazy examples of quirky, yeah. uniquely Florida stuff? It's an interesting thing when life opens a door that you're not expecting. I became very curious about all these people with these wayside things that, you know, they make a living at and they are strange. And Cypress Knee Museum was one of them. And I always wanted to stop. Clyde he was not too interested in those things. And so he was only interested in his photography. And he was doing color photography at the time as we did art festivals here. And but he wanted to go back to black and white, but he wasn't sure. And he didn't see anything here in Florida to photograph. There were no mountains, and he just couldn't figure it out. And, of course, we both were somewhat cautious about hiking out into the bush because of the alligators and the snakes and everything people hear about. And so we had only seen the edges of Florida, like the beaches and that sort of thing. We had never been inside Florida yet. And um, so Tom Gaskin's place... We'd go by there, and I'd say, let's stop, let's stop. And he would say, no, no, no. So one day, we were coming back from an art festival at Winter Park, and Tom Gaskin had put up a new sign, and the sign was in separate parts, and it said, lady, if your husband won't stop, take off your shoe, hit him over the head. And so I read that sign to Clyde, because I'd asked him so many times to stop, oh that he thought, well, maybe I better stop. <laughs> It's so, like he put it up for you. That's awesome. I think so. <laughs> so we stopped. Tom was a fascinating person. and uh, But he was more, Clyde was bored. And Tom saw that he was bored. And so Tom said, well, I've got a boardwalk out in back if you guys want to go out there. Clyde said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So I joined Clyde. And this was a board. We're talking a, like a 12 or 14-inch board mm. tacked up against a tree. The railing was uh, branches from the tree. It was not what I would call a stable railing. <laughs> and so you had to walk very carefully. But it took us out into a swamp, which we had never seen before. And both of us were just in awe. We had the same emotional connection to the cypress trees and the water and the plants that we had when we walked through the redwood forests of California. It just was like an overwhelming connection. And the next day, Clyde came back with his camera, and he took both a color photograph from the boardwalk and a black and white one. And it changed his life, and it changed mine. So he began taking an interest in the environment of the Everglades and began photographing it. And then another example of doing the same thing is the place where our big Cypress Gallery is now located. The fellow who owned that had an orchid nursery there. And Clyde decided to photograph the front pond. He was by himself. And 
he began to set up his large format camera when he heard a gun go off and he turned around and the fellow who owns the property was chasing him. Get off my property. <laughs> and, you know, well, Tamiami Trail's got a lot of strange people that live out there. So you have to, you know, figure it was a bad day for the guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so Clyde left and he figured he'd come back in a month or so and it probably be okay. He tried it again and he came running out of there and shooing Clyde off again. So Clyde never, ever wanted to go back. I wanted to see the place. I wanted to meet the guy. I wanted to know what he was like. And no, he would never stop for me. So one day I was out there photographing for the fun of it by myself, just along Tamiami Trail. And uh, I drove straight up to his little shack and stepped out of my car with $2, which is what it cost if you wanted to get into his property. And he was very nice and very welcoming. And so I walked all through to his property to the back. It was 13 acres, sat on a log, and there were bumblebees and butterflies and birds. And I felt like I was in the conclusion of a Disney movie, you know, with all the little wonderful things, plants that were alive. And when I turned, I was there for about an hour just enjoying myself. And then I walked out, and as I drove off the property, I saw a sign that it was for sale. And so I went home thinking, should we buy it? Because we were looking for some property for a gallery. Because it's in the middle of nowhere. However, we had lived aboard a sailboat. But we had no refrigerator. We had no electricity. We were living on a mooring. And at least this had electricity. <laughs> so that was the big benefit. Although it was 50 miles from Naples and 50 miles from Miami. So it was really in the middle of nowhere. So I thought, well, I'll ask Clyde, see what he thinks. And he immediately said yes. And we ended up, long story, to make that part of it short, we ended up owning the property our Big Cypress Gallery is located on. And so two things happened by stopping at these strange places. Clyde changed to black and white, and we bought this property. Major differences made huge differences in our life. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen to you when you take a chance you got to take a chance once in a while yeah i do want to stay on this orchid isles property where the big cypress gallery still stands just for a minute mm -hmm. because uh -huh. for some broader context for our listeners this comes after you and clyde had like sold this big business in akron ohio like some 200 employees you've yes. got some impressive business acumen you had to know foot traffic is going to be a challenge i mean what were you thinking yes. <laughs> exactly and well we were going to build the gallery up in front which we did and we built our home in the back and we were making a living doing art festivals and Art festivals, for me, was a lot of fun. And the fact that we could make enough money to live was even nicer. <laughs> so what we figured was if nobody came to the gallery or very few people came to the gallery, we were making our living doing art festivals. All we needed was an employee up in the gallery who could talk to the customers. That's all we needed. Just one person if it was that slow. And we took a third of the gallery and walled it off and made that into a place where that, that employee could cut mats and mount the pictures and everything so that they could work for us to help us get ready for art festivals. And so we figured nobody would stop for a long time. And my father was a 
a certified public accountant, and he often said that if you have your own business, it can take up to five years for you to break even. So I just figured, you know, five years, you know, we can do our festivals and that's the way it goes and eventually people will stop. Within a year, we gave up the festivals. Wow. It was absolutely amazing for people to come out in the middle of nowhere to see, of course, I'm kind of prejudiced, Clyde's work is absolutely wonderful, but <laughs> for people to come that far to see his work. And of course, at that time, I was running the business, so I did not have time to do art. So his work was the only thing up in the gallery at that time. So it was truly a miracle. The other miracle about it was in 1986, our son, who was 17, was killed by a drunk driver who slammed into the side of the car he was a passenger in and he was killed. It was uh, devastating and our daughter and Clyde and I just, it's difficult. You just move through the day and you, you just do what has to be done. You don't really think too much. It, it, it's like you're in a nightmare or something. And yeah. um, we went to uh, an organization of families who'd lost children and um, there were a lot of very, very angry people in that group. And we had decided, we dropped out of it, and we decided we wanted to honor our son in memory of our son. We wanted to do something to honor his life. And we were not going to be angry and pissy because of it and spend our life that way. So we became extremely active in helping to save the Everglades. And we did that to honor his love of nature as well as to honor the Everglades. And so um, later we came across the property many years later because the Everglades had been, the whole issue had been sort of quote unquote solved. And um, I found the property and we bought it and built the gallery. When the a gallery was being built, I was sitting in the car waiting for Clyde to talk to the contractor. And uh, there was a telephone pole in front of me and the telephone pole had these numbers on them, T1-1786. And all the telephone poles anywhere have numbers on them. And um, chills ran over me because our son's name was Ted. He was one, our only son. He was 17 when he died, and he died in 1986. Everything was on the pole. Chills just went over me, and I, I thought, this is like he was saying, congratulations, you did it. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. it was just amazing. So we decided with that property, we wanted to help educate people about the Everglades and about the environment in Florida because very few people actually get into the Everglades because of all the horror stories associated with it. And if you don't get into it, you do not know what the beauty is. And so we give swamp walks and try to help people educate them through Clyde's and my photography. And uh, we feel like the property was a gift to us. You know, we paid for it, but we, it was a gift that we were able to do this in the middle of nowhere and be successful. It, we're very, very thankful for it. And uh, so come out and see it one of these days. Are, are the, the swamp walks something that still continues? Yes, uh, you have to make reservations. Um, we do give one swamp walk a year, which all the money for it is donated to the Educational Department of Big Cypress National Preserve. 
that one happens in September. I don't know the exact date. You can go on uh, Clyde's website. It'll be listed there. So generally speaking, you have to make a reservation. So you can go with one person. You can go with two people. You can go with 20 people. But you have to make a reservation. It isn't like we give them all every day or anything. We do yeah. it when we have a customer. Sure. And um, so and when we moved off the property, as we, Clyde and I, are now in our 80s, we had to be closer to doctors and stuff. We moved off the property and our house is a vacation rental now. So I thought to myself, if you uh, have a high pressure job in Naples or Miami and you just want to get away from things, but you want to have luxury, you want to have air conditioning, a refrigerator, a washing machine, you want to just relax and not have to deal with anything, that's our house. 13 acres surrounded by a million acres of wilderness. <laughs> mm. So I was afraid if I left it empty and came to it every once in a while, anything you leave in the Everglades will be run over by nature. Yes. It's amazing <laughs> how fast that happens. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. But at any rate, yeah. Oh, well, no, that's so important, um, having those opportunities, because I think there are so many people who might live their whole lives in Florida and just never really venture beyond the urbanized coastal areas to see, yes. you know, that the true interior. I understand that because we were like that. You know, we, we were not open to going on a trail or anything. So, you know, yeah, I, I totally understand it. And I think through Clyde's photography of the Everglades, it is helped people see what's inside the Everglades and help them to understand it's worth saving. Yeah. If we could, I wanted to jump back in just to some some technical questions, and these are really more personally for me. I'm just interested in your process. Mm -hmm. When you're out capturing the initial black and white photographs, does that feel like a completely separate part of the creative process for you? And by that, I mean... Are you primarily considering elements like lighting and composition, or are you also already thinking about, you know, the colors you'll want to be adding to it at a later stage in the process? I think instinctively, I think about composition. It's just part of my being. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Most artists, they just think about composition. If they don't, they've got problems. <laughs> so often I will find something that is historic like these little wayside fun, funky places that there is no composition. And so I take a picture of it anyway, and I'll hand paint it anyway, simply for the sake of history. And so many of those places have disappeared over the last 20 years. And to me, that's Florida. People come here from all over and they're funky and weird and fun and miserable and <laughs> we have such a variety of people in florida you just cannot get bored <laughs> yes <laughs> so but in terms of composition i always try to photograph using composition but sometimes it's a historical thing and there is no composition so i just take a picture are you still applying you know oil paints with with q-tips and cotton balls or, or have you fully embraced <laughs> digital at this point when photoshop came into being I began putting my images into Photoshop. This would be, I don't know, late 1990s, I think, is when it was, maybe early 2000s. I stopped using oils, and I started doing Photoshop on my hand-painted images. And now that I'm 80, 
I had taken a break from using my computer for about two years. And when I sat down to use it again, it updated itself. And I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going back to painting with oils because that's me, oils, and a surface to paint on. It's not technology. And I am not a technological head. My brain is not work that way. And so I'm going back to doing it with oils. But the difference between the digital ones and my oil paintings is every oil painting may be the same colors, but they're individually painted. So each one of them is different. With digital, each one is the same. So you know, if you order something, you know what you're getting. If you order one that I'm hand painting, you don't exactly know what you're going to get. So it's, it's, you know, it's just the way it is. Is it difficult for you to decide when a piece is finished? No, no, because I really have an idea of where I'm going to go before I sit down with it and what I'm going to do. Generally, I know it's done when it's done. And um, as we've mentioned, you're a mother and a grandmother. So I'm so curious about the approach you took with child rearing when it comes to art, because it certainly seems like you've made an impression. Your granddaughter, Caleb, studied photography and uh, Mm -hmm. came back from San Francisco, joined the family biz. So that's got to be pretty rewarding to see them not just excelling, but sharing in your artistic passions. Yeah, yeah. She's a really wonderful photographer, and she's somewhat shy about putting her work out there. And I'm hoping she makes her way through that and allows us to exhibit her work. And raising our children, (laughs) okay, if you raise your children on a sailboat on a mooring and you do not have TV because you have no electricity, (laughs) you do not have a decent stove and oven. You don't, an oven, forget an oven, there was no oven. It's a very primitive lifestyle. But the one thing we had that a lot of American families do not have our boat was 35 feet we had a very tight-knit family because we couldn't help but bump into each other all the time we had to learn to work together and we had to learn to talk and hear each other because there was no place you could go to not hear somebody talk Mm -hmm. and we played games at night instead of watching television so we became a very close family and uh, so when ted died it was extremely traumatic because we were very close. Our daughter, who runs our business now, when she was 19, Ted died when she was 19. She dropped out of college and uh, she was out of it for a while. And I asked her, what would you, I, I think it's time for you to go back to college. And she said she didn't want to waste her money. And so I said, well, let's pretend you graduated. What would you be doing? And she said, I'd have my own business. And so Clyde said, okay, let's start you a business. And so at the age of 19, she started a business using my hand-painted works on postcards. And she sold those, and then she jumped up to note cards, and then she jumped up to a bunch of other artists, friends she got together and started doing other things with them. And she ended up with a business that had stores Uh, the Gulf Coast and up to South Carolina and a few stores in the Caribbean. And uh, when Clyde wanted to do really large images, he needed a bigger darkroom. And so she and Clyde bought a building in Venice and 
he put in a large dark room and she used it to store uh, inventory from an order from Walmart. And our lives started bumping into each other. And one day she said, if I sell my business, can I join yours? And we said, sure. Now I will tell you, considering how slow Clyde and I do things now <laughs> that we're in our 80s, <laughs> thank heavens our daughter runs our business because she is dynamite. She is doing such a great job and we're so lucky to have her. And her husband also, because Clyde had a stroke and he cannot stand for very long, so doing darkroom work is impossible for him. So her husband, Neil, does the darkroom work. And so it's just a true gift that they have joined our business. And uh, so, you know, we just are very fortunate. But I think it's because we had a close family to begin with. Well, I hate to bring this conversation in for a landing because I'm really enjoying it, but we are about out of time. Um, okay. <laughs> I just want to thank my guests, though. I've been speaking with artist Nikki Butcher, an exhibition of her work titled Daydreaming. Nikki Butcher's hand-painted photography is coming to the Marco Island Historical Museum. The exhibit follows the publication last year of her debut book, also titled Daydreaming, which includes more than 140 of her works. The show runs from March 12th through June 8th. It's free and open to the public. And you can meet Nikki at an opening reception and book signing on March 14th from 4.30 to 6 p.m. For more about Nikki and her husband, fellow photographer Clyde, visit ClydeButcher.com. And for more on the Marco Island Historical Society and Marco Island Historical Museum, visit themihs.info. Nikki Butcher, thanks so much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It was fun. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. Our social media coordinator is Bianca Massoni. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida. Thank you.